You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Tonight, we're continuing a series that we started two weeks ago. And again, if anybody's ready for the word, can you make some noise for me? Make some noise if you're ready for the word. Get out whatever you need to do tonight to put yourself in a posture to receive. You know, here at New Song Students, we really have an incredible opportunity. I want to just remind you guys of the opportunity we have right now. We are in the presence of God together as a family. We're getting ready to open up God's word together as a family. And the spirit of God is in this room. Just like we sang in that song, the same God, the same spirit who moved in David's life with Goliath, the same God who moved in Mary's life, who Jesus came down in flesh and blood and died and was buried and rose again from the grave. That same God is in this room right now and ready to speak to us. And so I wanna really quickly remind you why we're here. We're not here because uh, this is a fun place to spend your Wednesday nights, even though it is very fun. We're not here because... Uh, We come and we get to jump and get some cardio points during worship music, even though that's also pretty dope, getting some cardio points. Uh, We're not here because you're going to hear a good talk every week. We're here for this reason, to meet with Jesus. Jesus is the whole reason why we're here. In fact, I love, uh, there's a worship song that our pastor, Pastor David, wrote, and it's one of my favorite songs to sing with you guys, because during the bridge, we sing this part where it says, all of this is for you. You guys know that song? We say, all of this is for you. And man, that is such a good reminder for us New Song students that church, it's not about me. Church is not about you. Worship is not about a feeling. It's not about you. Prayer, living a holy life for God, all of that. Guess who it's for? It's for Jesus. All of this is for you. And so let me tell you, when you and I, as the family of God, come together with that mindset of, this is not for me, God, this is all for you. When we come to that mindset, with church, then something cool happens. Hebrews 12 happens. And if you're familiar with Hebrews 12, that's the part of the Bible where it talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus and make him the main thing, because he's always supposed to be the main thing here, then he gets to do what he does best. And scripture tells us he becomes the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. So as we fix our eyes tonight, make Jesus the main thing and not our issues. Amen. Make Jesus the main thing and not us. We're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. When we make him the main thing, fix our eyes on him, he's going to perfect our faith tonight. Does anybody want their faith perfected tonight? Come on. Okay, so tonight we are continuing in this series we started two weeks ago called Same God. Look to your neighbor and say, Same God. Same God. And we're going to start off tonight's message in Romans chapter 8. So turn over there, click over there, write the reference in your notes. If you're taking notes, Romans chapter eight. And we're doing this series. This series is all about faith. But, but really, it's actually a series about God. Because what we learned in week one is that in order to build your faith, you have to look to God, the same God, the God who is consistent always. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, we're given a single verse about a characteristic of Jesus that this entire series is based on. But not only is this entire series founded on this characteristic of Jesus, 
all of our faith is found in this characteristic of Jesus. It's in Hebrews 13, verse 8. Look at this on the screen with me. It says, Jesus Christ is the same. Somebody say, the same. The same. He's the same. You know what that means in the Greek? The same. <laughs> that means he doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, okay? So if you weren't here in week one, let me recap real quick before we get into the word tonight. In week one, we looked at faith, because that's what this series is on, building our faith. And we looked at the fact that faith, biblically, is actually something that every person has in them. Everybody has faith. If you're a Christian, you have faith. If you're not a Christian, you still have faith. We have all been given a measure of faith, and we don't get faith when we give our life to Jesus, and we don't lose faith when we walk away from Jesus. We just place our faith in something different. We're all pointing our faith in a different direction. So the problem is not that we just, as Christians, we need to just muster up more faith in our life. No, what we need to do is put our faith in a saving faith, amen? Because it's only saving faith if it's founded in something that will not change on you, will not eventually leave you, or will not, will not eventually forsake you. What we talked about in week one is that everything in the universe, literally everything in cre creation is either doing a couple of things. It's either changing, it's either evolving, it's dying, or it's dead. <laughs> everything in creation is changing. It never stays the same forever. But you know what does? Jesus. He's the only thing, the only person who's been loving since, from 2,000 years ago, started loving when he came onto this earth and he's still doing it today. He's the only person who was giving promises and healing people and ministering to people 2,000 years ago and is still doing that today. That's why it's called saving faith, amen? amen. So this is how we build our faith. We look to the, the Jesus, the same God who never changes. So tonight, we're gonna be continuing the series with a topic that I'm really excited about. It may sound a little random. It may, you may be like, okay, why are we talking about this in this series? But just hold your horses, wait with me, trust me. Um, this has to do with what we're talking about. And uh, so we're gonna look in Romans chapter eight. If you are in your Bible or on your phone, the beginning of Romans chapter eight, you might see a subtitle for that chapter and it might say this. It might say life in the spirit. Does anybody's Bible say that? Anybody's uh, version app say that? Life in the spirit? So what Paul is talking about in the context of Romans chapter eight is that the same spirit, kind of what we just sang about, the same spirit that hovered over creation, hovered over the earth, the darkness of the earth, is the same spirit of God that led the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. That's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. And guess what? It's the same spirit who lives in believers today. How cool is that? So Paul is talking in chapter eight about the fact that if that same spirit lives in us, our life should reflect life in the spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. If we have that kind of powerful spirit in us, then that should reflect in our life. It's life in the spirit. And so right in the middle of this chapter, we get a glimpse into a tool that the Holy Spirit gives us. Check this out. This is so good. Romans eight, verses 26. It says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Any weak people in the house tonight? Come on, be honest. If your hand isn't up, you're weak and you're lying. <laughs> Raise your hand. We've all been weak before. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, 
Paul's going to give us an example. We don't know what God wants us to pray for. <laughs> Have you ever been there before? You're praying, you're like, I don't know what to pray for. I've been there too. But look at this. God thought of everything. This is how good God is. He thought of everything. For example, we don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. You're probably familiar with this last verse, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Okay, so if it's your first time tonight or you haven't been here in a while, <laughs> welcome to New Song Students. Tonight we are talking about praying in the spirit. We're talking about your prayer language. Sometimes it's called praying in tongues. Some of you guys are like, whoa, okay, hold on, what? Trust me, just lean in with me tonight. Everything that we're gonna do, we're gonna read a lot of Bible tonight. Who likes the Bible? We're gonna read a lot of Bible, so I hope you came ready to lean in with me. But what I want you to see tonight, wherever you find yourself, you might have never heard of this before, praying in the Spirit. You're like, what the heck, what is that? You might know about this, and you're kind of like, that's for weird people, I'm not really into that. Wherever you find yourself tonight, can we just open up God's Word and see what it has to say? Are you cool with that? Yeah. We're gonna open up God's Word, and we're gonna see what God's Word has to say. And here's why, praying in the Spirit is an amazing tool. I'm telling you, God thought of everything. God knew that prayer was something that needed to be in the life of every believer, and he also knew that praying is hard sometimes. So he thought of the thing that we needed, and it's praying in the Spirit. So we're gonna be talking about this tonight, and it's something I don't want any of you to miss out on. So lean in with me. If you're taking notes, the title of the message is Same Spirit. Look to your neighbor and say, Same Spirit. Same Spirit. But before we get into the Word, Let's pray, and I want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit into this room to speak to us and talk to us. Father, I thank you so much for this room. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, where would we be without you, Jesus? Who knows where we'd be, but right now we know that we're in this room, and that right now the Holy Spirit is in this room. And I pray, God, as we open your word, which the word says is living and active, more powerful than any double-edged sword, I pray that as we open it, that it would, it would cut our hearts in the best way possible, that it would feed our spirits. And especially tonight, God, I pray that our hearts would be open to this amazing gift that you want to give to every single one of us to help us pray powerful prayers. We want to be people who pray powerful, effective prayers in the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. That was a weak amen. Did you guys agree with that prayer? Say amen. amen. There we go. That sounded much better. Okay, so if you've been a part of New Song for any amount of time this year, recently you've probably felt this really cool shift happening in the life of our church, and it has to do with this thing called prayer, which is what we're talking about tonight. You know, I want you to know prayer, prayer has always been an important part of New Song. Like we've been preaching on the power of prayer for ever since this church existed. We've been preaching on prayer and we've definitely been doing it in students too, but there's a cool shift happening right now where we're starting to view prayer differently. We're, we're viewing it differently. It's not just something that, oh, we're preaching and you guys should be going and doing in your own time. 
No, we're saying prayer is something that we're gonna just start making the main thing. We're gonna bring it to the center stage of who we are as a church and we're gonna do it as a family. And so there's been this really cool shift happening and we're making prayer more of the main thing. It's not just this thing we do as believers, but it's the main thing we do as believers. It's where the power is. And so as a church, we're shifting to make it more of a central part of who we are. You might have noticed this with uh, two things that we've started recently this year. The first one is midweek prayer. Who's been able to make it out to midweek prayer yet? I know I actually saw some of our students there at midweek prayer tonight, and I loved it. And I want to encourage you, with this summer off, if you have a chance, you need to be here in this room on Wednesdays at noon because God moves here on Wednesdays at noon. And some of the most impactful things we're doing as a church, they're happening because of what's happening in here on Wednesdays at noon. So if you have a chance this summer, make time. But we also started something three weeks ago uh, for you guys, for New Song students called pre-service prayer. If you've been at pre-service prayer, make, make some noise, raise your hand. I've seen some of you guys there. And same thing, both of these events, midweek prayer and pre-service prayer, are very quickly becoming my two favorite things we do as a church because that's where the power is. And so we're trying to shift as a church, as a culture, of not just building a great church for God, but building a praying church for God. But in order to do that, we can't just have praying pastors. We can't just have praying staff. We have to have a praying church. Who's the church? Yeah, you are the church. So we all got to be praying. In fact, if you were able to be here this past weekend, Pastor Josh preached an amazing word on prayer from, from the Sermon on the Mount. If you didn't get to hear it, go back and listen to it. But it was uh, the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is making prayer as simple as possible. He says, prayer is this. This is all prayer is. It's asking, it's seeking, and it's knocking. Who was there for that? Asking, seeking, knocking. And he said, it's child's play. A child can do all of those things. But Pastor Josh opened up the message with a very interesting statistic. I wanted to share it with you guys again. He opened it up with the fact that there was this Christian study that went around and it asked people about their view of prayer, their viewpoint of prayer. It surveyed, uh, uh, I think it was like 1,500 people and they asked this question to 1,500 Christians. What is your viewpoint on prayer? Do you think prayer is something that should be a main part of a Christian's life. And 90% of Christians heard that question and they said, yeah, a duh. Prayer should, be, and prayer should be a main part of a Christian's life. But of the, <clears throat> excuse me, but of the, of the 90% of people who said prayer should be a part of their life, their everyday life, only 30% said they actually are intentionally making it a part of their everyday life. So that's a huge disconnect, right? I'm sure all of us in the room would agree with that statement. We've been there before. Like if I asked you, hey, is prayer an important part of being a Christian? I think we would all agree, yeah. Christians should pray. That's an important part of prayer. But I also think all of us have been in the same boat where we say, yes, I think prayer is important. But when we take an honest look in our life, where sometimes the 30% of people or the, the, sorry, the 70% of people that aren't actually doing it outside of a Sunday, right? Yeah. Who's ever been there before? Yeah. I know I have. And here's the reality. It's because prayer is hard. Can we just be real tonight? Yeah. <laughs> prayer is hard. Like sometimes we make time for prayer and then once we get there, we don't have the words to say. You ever been there before? We make time for prayer and we get there and we don't have the words to say. Sometimes 
we make time for prayer and we get there and there's so much to say. There's so many things we could pray for. It's like we get overwhelmed by all the options. And then if we're being really honest, sometimes we make time for prayer and we get bored. You been there before? We make time for prayer. I've been there and we're in prayer and we just get bored. But where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect? Because when I look at the life of Jesus, I don't see Jesus having this mentality of, oh, I'm the son of God, so like I should go pray and be a good example to my disciples. Like, no, when Jesus prayed, it seemed like that's where he wanted to be. Like Jesus constantly in the, in the gospels is withdrawing from people to spend time to connect with his father, to make a difference in the spiritual realm. It's not something he felt like he had to do. It's where he wanted to be. So where's the disconnect? Are you following me? Where's the disconnect? And not only that, not only does Jesus hold a high view of prayer, but scripture holds a high view of prayer. The Bible is always telling us to have a bigger view of prayer. I wanna, I wanna share with you two scriptures specifically. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter five. It says this, rejoice always, praying continually. Somebody say continually. continually. You know what continually means in the Greek? Continually. <laughs> Pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I got another one for you. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Look at this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Somebody say every situation. In every situation. Hint, hint. You want to know what every situation means in the Greek? Every situation, okay? It's pretty simple. Yeah, we're learning Greek tonight. Every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Are you seeing the pattern here? The Bible views prayer as something that should be done in every situation and continually. Every situation and continually. Now, you're probably like me, and I grew up here. I've, I've heard these passages before. We're familiar with these. I grew up hearing these, and I'm like, yeah, 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 Bible. That's great. I get that. I love that. That sounds good. But how do you actually do that? Like, pray continually in every situation? Like, I have a hard time remembering to, like, eat breakfast in the morning. And you're wanting me to pray continually in every circumstance? Yes, that's what the Bible is exactly saying. <laughs> that's what it's saying. So how do we do this? Have you ever had that thought? You've heard those scriptures before and you're like, okay, but really, Jesus, how do you actually pray continually? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If you're trying to do that in your own strength, that is an impossible task. Praying continually in every situation, that is an impossible task for people doing it in their own strength. But here's what we read in the opening passage of Romans 8. Prayer is not something we're supposed to be doing in our own strength. We're actually supposed to be partnering with somebody in prayer. Look at this, Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what God wants us to pray. I've been there before. But here's the good news. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So right here in this passage, we've got a predicament. We've got an issue. We've got a job, a task that needs to be solved called prayer, but it's a really big, hard task. And Paul comes in and he throws us in a little prayer hack, a little life hack. Have you ever heard of life hacks before? Yeah. 
You ever been like scrolling on Instagram and it's like, you should try these five life hacks. You ever seen those? And it's like how to fold a chip bag or something. It's like something you're never actually going to (laughs) do. You know, I'm starting to learn as I get older that the greatest life hack of all time, and this is just free advice, New Song students, so write this down. (laughs) The greatest life hack of all time is knowing the right people. Somebody say amen to that. It's knowing the right people, because I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have needed to do an impossible task. It was going to take too much time. I didn't have the tools. I didn't know how to do it. But knowing the right people, that was the life hack that I needed. I can think of one specifically. There was a time in my life two years ago, a little, a little longer than two years ago, where Haley and I, uh, we had just moved into our house not that much longer ago, and we wanted to get some, we had been saving up to get some new floors put in our house. Now, this is a big adult purchase that is not fun to make because fl- floors are really expensive. But you got to do it when you move into a house and there's like really ugly carpet and really tacky tile. So we moved into our house and we knew that we wanted to get the floors redone before our sweet little Marlo Jane came into the world. And so, but here's the issue I faced with that. I know I look like a really handy man, but I'm not. Shocker, okay? (laughs) So I don't have like, if you go into my garage, I don't have like this big giant tool wall. I know. Shocker. You probably thought I was a tool guy. I'm not a tool guy. Um, So here's the issue. Floors are really expensive. Haley and I knew we needed to cut costs to to be able to afford this. So we decided that we're still going to get the floors, but we're going to tear out our old floors ourselves. We're not going to pay anybody to do that because that was just going to be extra money. But here's the problem. Here's three problems I had. The first one was my wife was seven months pregnant. She could barely bend over and tie her shoes. So there's no way she's helping me. Second problem, I got no tools. I literally owned like a hammer and some nails. And I don't know if you've ever tried to take up tile with a hammer and nails, but it doesn't work. And thirdly, I had never done something like this before. Like I'd never ripped up carpet. I had never ripped up tile. But I had a life hack. And his name was E-Man. Somebody make some noise for my boy E-Man. <laughs> I had a life hack. E-Man. I, I, I reached out to E-Man the second I knew that we were going to be ripping out our floors. Um, and I reached out to E-Man for a couple of reasons. I wanted his hands and I wanted his mind. Okay. I wanted his hands because it was a big task. I just needed more hands because many hands make light work. That's right. So I knew if I just had E-Man help me out, it would make this big task not seem as hard. But I also wanted E-Man's mind. You know why? Because E-Man has torn up tile before. (laughs) E-Man has torn up carpet before. And your boy had never done that. So I was like, E-Man, I need you to help a brother out and teach me how to tear up some tile. So E-Man came over, but what I didn't expect E-Man to bring was he rolls up on this day, we're going to tear up our carpet and our tile, and he brings all of the tools needed to accomplish this task. It was amazing, and we knocked this sucker out in like a day. I don't even remember, but it was dusty. We knocked it out. My point is this. My point is this. That was a really big task that I could have just chose to do in my own strength. It would have taken me probably weeks uh, and it, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it with a hammer and nails, it would have probably taken me a year or two. But I had a life hack. I had my boy E-Man, and he came in, and he helped me, and it made this impossible task seem so much easier. In fact, we were able to be effective in it in the same way. There are too many believers. Listen to me. Listen to me. There are too many believers trying to do a God task 
but they're not using God tools. You know, prayer is a God task, and you're not called to do that with your own strength. Look at this. Here are two problems I think Christians are facing when it comes to prayer. We're trying to do the work ourselves, number one. Write that down. We're trying to pray, do this big task of praying continually. We're trying to do that ourselves. And if you've ever tried to do that before, you'll quickly find out that prayer is very difficult sometimes. But it doesn't have to be. Because look, John 14, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Do you think all things includes prayer? It definitely does. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is what Jesus told the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And he said, hey, disciples, I don't want you to start any churches. I don't want you to tell anybody the good news until you have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's a big task. That's a God-sized task. And if you try to do this God-sized task without my strength, you're going to fail. So he says, don't do it without the Holy Spirit. And the second thing, and I already said this, is this. We're trying to do a God-sized job without God-sized tools. Write that down. Prayer is a big task that we're called to do where we can affect change in the world. We can bring God's kingdom down onto earth, but you can't do it effectively in your own strength. And so this is why we're given a tool and this is where we're finally going to get into the fun stuff of praying in the Spirit, your prayer language. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I like to also think of these as tools, spiritual tools, especially that you may prophesy. But check this out. For one who speaks in a tongue, talking about your prayer language, speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him including yourself, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So in this passage, Paul lets us in on this life hack in the spirit. And he says, hey, you need this gift, this tool called praying in the spirit. Now you may have never heard about this before. You may have heard about this before and you've seen it done in an unhealthy way, in a, in a distracting way. I don't know where you find yourself tonight, but here's what I want all of us to know about praying in the spirit right from the get-go. Praying in the Spirit is not weird. Amen. Amen. And we've got to get that in our heads. Praying in the Spirit is not weird. It is something that we as a church, our staff, our pastors, myself, have been doing since day one of New Song Church. Praying in the Spirit is not weird. In fact, we have an enemy who loves to take good things from God, powerful things from God, and he does this to them. He perverts them. Now, pervert, we think that's a weird word. All pervert literally means is to alter from its original course. So the enemy loves to come in and take good things that are for the people of God and pervert them, right? Yeah. We see this all in our world. We see this with things like pornography. Pornography is God's design of sex perverted, right? Yeah. How about this one? This one's not as deep as what I just mentioned. Expressing our love and worship. Now, we go to a church where we believe in expressing our love to God through worship. What does that mean? Lifting your hands. It means singing. It means moshing and jumping, right? Yeah. We believe in expressing our love to God with our bodies, right? Bowing low, singing loud. But there's an enemy who would love to come in and whisper in your ear, that's weird. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's weird. Weird Christians do that. Don't raise your hands. 
But here's what the enemy is doing. He's perverting a good thing. Because really, that's a way that we experience the spirit of God. But the, but the enemy comes in and says, no, don't do that. You don't need to do that. That's weird. And so what do we do? We shut ourselves off from a good thing from God. And the enemy loves to do this. And in the same way, he would love to do this with, an, with a very powerful tool from the spirit, like praying in tongues. He would love to get believers to believe that this is something that's weird and I shouldn't do it. Because you know what, you know what happens when we do that? We become a lot less powerful. So check this out. What is praying in the spirit? I want to just give it to you as simple as I know how. And then we're going to talk about some myths about it. We're going to debunk some myths. And then I want to give you the benefits. You still in with me tonight, New Song students? You following me? Okay, just making sure. Here's what praying in the spirit is. If you've never heard about it before, it's a tool that the Holy Spirit gives us as believers and helps us to pray. What is it? It is a prayer language that you choose to speak in faith, you're praying words that you don't understand with your mind, but God does. Is you following me? You're praying words that you don't understand with your mind, but God does. I wanna go back to 1 Corinthians 4, one through two. It says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. It is literally praying in a language that we don't know in our mind, but what we're doing when we do that is we're picking up a God-sized tool to accomplish a God-sized task, which is prayer. So before we get into the why I think you should be praying in the Spirit, let's debunk some myths. Look at your neighbor say, Mythbusters. We gotta debunk, we gotta debunk some myths about praying in the Spirit because it is not a weird thing. It is a good thing that I want all of you to do. First one is this, myth number one, you are fluent from the start. This is a myth. Now make sure you write myth at the beginning because if you don't, you're gonna look back and tell people that they should be fluent from the start. No, 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 no. Write myth number one. You are actually not fluent from the start. You know why? Because it's called a prayer language. Do you know any baby that came out of the womb speaking fluent English? I can tell you it doesn't happen because I got a one and a half year old at the house and she does not speak perfect English. It takes a lot of practice for her, but man, it is really cute right now. Like right now, one of the things that she says that I love is when she's asking for a veggie straw, she'll come up to me and she'll do this thing. This means more. She'll go like this and she'll go, veg straw, please. And she's, she's saying veggie straw, please. She goes, veg straw, please. It's so cute, melts my heart. The other day, I was kind of deciding on whether I wanted to share this, but I think it's kind of funny. The other day, Haley and I are in the kitchen and Marlo is in the living room and I swear to you, we're just like talking and I hear my little Marlo cuss. Like just, like she dropped an F-bomb in the living room. And I, Haley and I looked at each other and we were like, and she was trying to say duck, but she said the other word. Now, can I tell you, in that moment, I didn't go up to Marlo and pick her up and say, how dare you? How dare you? I'm going to spank you because we don't spank her yet. She's way too young. But I would never do that because you know what? I know that she's just trying her best. She has no idea what she's doing. She's learning because it's a language. She's not fluent in English yet. Man, in the same way, when you start to step out in faith in your prayer language, it's not something that's gonna just come naturally to you right from the beginning. Now, 
This is not an excuse for you to cuss and say that's your prayer language. That's not what I'm saying. God doesn't think that's cute, okay? But what I am saying is when you start to step out in faith in this, you might not have a whole lot. But you know what it is, though? It's a prayer language. So it takes practice. You have to do it. And you have to do it. And you have to do it. And you know what? I can say this from experience. I've been praying in the Spirit for consistently like six or seven years now. My prayer language right now sounds a lot different than it did six years ago. And can I tell you, Pastor Josh's mom, Miss Trudy, have you ever met Miss Trudy before? She's the sweetest woman on the planet. When you hear that woman pray in the Spirit, she sounds like she is speaking in a foreign language. It's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But you know what? She's been doing it for over 40 years. So it takes practice. You're not going to be fluent the first time you try, but don't let that discourage you because it's a prayer language. You have to start somewhere. Second myth is this. You following me? Myth number two, you are not in control. This is a myth because guess what? You are in control. Some people are afraid to receive this gift and to step out in faith in this gift because they think that the Holy Spirit's just gonna possess them and they're just gonna start like shaking at the altar and like screaming out in tongues. And then they're, they're like afraid that if I go to Starbucks one day, I might just like bust out in a tongue. <laughs> Guess what? That's not what happens. <laughs> That's not how speaking in tongues works. You are in control. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, for if I pray in tongues. You know what if means? If means you make the choice. Paul says, if I pray in tongues, not when the Holy Spirit makes me pray in tongues. So here's what that tells me. You are in control. You have to step out in faith, but also the Holy Spirit's not gonna possess you. It's not this weird thing where you don't have control and the Holy Spirit's just taking control of your tongue. No, 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 no. You make the choice. You step out in faith. Myth number three, you will get a demon. (laughs) Some people legit believe this. There are Christians that believe that if you pray in the Spirit, if you, I don't really understand why, but if you receive this gift from the Spirit, they believe you're going to catch a demon, okay? Can I tell you? You're not going to catch a demon, but I'll prove it to you. Let's look at this. Luke 11, Jesus is talking about the characteristic of God being Father. Look what he says. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father... Pause. Okay. We normally read this and we're like, yeah, God's a good father and he gives good gifts. But what is the gift God gives you? Look at this. How much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? So Jesus is telling us, if you are a person and your heart is good and pure and you're saying, I want to speak in tongues, I want to pray in the spirit, I want to learn how to do this, guess what? God's not going to let a demon go in you. God is not going to let that happen. He's not going to give you a bad gift when you're asking for the Holy Spirit. He will give you what you're asking for. Amen? Amen? Last myth is this. I hope you guys are following me. I know this is deep. Myth number four is this, some people have it and some people don't. Some people have it and some people don't. 
Now, I don't think this is the case for everybody, but sometimes I think that this is actually an excuse people use. They use it as an excuse because maybe they went up to receive prayer one day uh, or receive their prayer language, but like a feeling didn't happen. There wasn't a feeling or it didn't come automatically. And so they leave and they say, well, I guess some people get it and some people don't. But praying in the spirit is not about receiving a feeling. It's about stepping out in faith. It's about talking. It's about yielding your tongue to the Lord and, and moving it. And so in the same way, God, the, the word of God says that he is no respecter of persons. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he says, now I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. Paul is writing to this church and he's saying, I wish all of you could do it. I love what David Guzik says about this. He says, why did Paul wish that all of you spoke in tongues? No doubt, because he knew the value of it in his own life. Paul was able, when he spoke in the spirit, to unburden his soul before God in a way beyond human language or intellect. He could pray, he could praise and intercede beyond his ability to understand and articulate. Paul wanted every Christian to know this same blessing. New Song students, I am up here tonight and I, like Paul, I wish every single one of you would pray in the spirit. You know why? Because it is a blessing to the life of a believer. In fact, there are three benefits that I wanna talk about as we get ready to close tonight. The first benefit of praying in the spirit is this. When we pray in the spirit, we are built up. When you pray in the spirit, you are building yourself up. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 14. We keep going to this, but it's so good. It says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. Other translations, Paul says edifies. Now, why in the world would Paul say that speaking in tongues, praying in the spirit builds you up? Well, he's saying it because we get torn down. We live in a fallen world. We have a very real enemy who hates that you're a believer. And he'll do anything in his power to keep you from being a strong believer. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to come in to your life, and he is going to try and tear you down. He'll try and tear you down spiritually. He'll try and tear you down emotionally. He'll try and tear you down in every single way. So you need, as a believer, to be built up. Have you ever felt like I could use some building up before? Oh, yeah. I know I have. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 6. This is where we get the scripture about the armor of God. Now, why in the world would we need the armor of God? Well, it's because we're in a battle. <laughs> we're in a battle against the enemy. And look at this. Look at what this says. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to start? I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be with that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having uh, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So there we, we see the enemy coming against us and we need armor to, de to defeat him and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, pause. We have all heard about the armor of God before, but did you know what's connected to receiving and putting on the armor of God? Sometimes we just stop at the sword of the spirit, but let's continue into verse 18. Look at this. Praying at all times, what? In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. 
I wonder how many believers are walking around without the armor of God because we're not praying in the spirit. You know how you put on the armor of God? You pray in the spirit. You know how you build yourself up as a believer? You pray in the spirit. And you're called to stand firm against any attack of the enemy. We're not called to be believers that are just getting beat up by the enemy constantly. We're called to beat up the enemy. But the only way we do that is when we put on the armor of God. And according to scripture, how do we do that? Praying all times in the spirit. And when you do that, you are being built up. Second thing that happens, and I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. Write this down. When we pray in the spirit, we are unified. Somebody say unified. unified. We are unified. Now, I want to go back to Genesis 11 real quick. There's a story in Genesis 11 uh, about, it's a famous story. You've probably heard about it. It's about the Tower of Babel. Somebody say Babel. Uh, you guys familiar with the story before? In this story, we find uh, early creation, this massive group of people. They're all united. They're under one vision, one purpose. They're in one community, and they all speak the same language in this point in history. And look at what happens. I want to start in verse 5. It says, but the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. That's pretty crazy. So come, let's go down. That's pretty cool. We see the Trinity right there. He says, let's go down and confuse the people with different language. God is sneaky like that. He's like, I'm going to mess this up. And look at this. Then they won't be able to understand each other. So in Genesis 11... We see this Tower of Babel being built up. The people in this early, uh, early history are powerful because they're united in vision, they're united in community, and they're united in language, but their vision was off. Their vision was off. They were trying to build this tower, but the reasons were wrong. They weren't partnering with God. They were doing this to be famous and to not need God. So God confuses their language. But fast forward to Zephaniah 3.9. This is an Old Testament prophecy look at what it says this is crazy for at that time i will change the speech of all the peoples to a pure speech look at this this is insane that all of them may call upon the name of the lord and serve him with one accord so zephaniah says in the future i'm going to restore to my people a pure language it was lost but i'm going to restore it look at this acts 2 verse 1 when the day of pentecost arrived they were all together in one place. Some translations say one accord. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. How crazy is this? So God confuses the language. He says, they're not ready. God promises, I'm gonna to restore to my people a perfect language when they're in one accord. We find the first church, first New Testament church to ever exist in one accord. They're in, under the same vision of Jesus Christ. They're in the same community. And God says, I'm gonna to restore to them a pure language. God gives them, fills them with the Holy Spirit, gives them a pure language. And what does God say about the Tower of Babel? What does he say about those people? He says, because of their vision, their community, and their language, 
nothing will be impossible for them. You know what that means for the church of Christ who is in one vision, in one community and has a pure language, the praying in the spirit, guess what he says to us? Nothing will be impossible for my church. Nothing will be impossible for my church. And the last thing is this, when we pray in the spirit, we pray perfect prayers. And this is the best part about praying in the spirit. We pray perfect prayers. James 4, 3 says this, you ask and you do not receive. Hold on, hold on. Jesus says you have not because you ask not, but James here is saying you ask and you didn't receive. Why is that? Because you asked wrongly. You spent it on your own passions. Sometimes when we pray, we aren't, we're not getting what we're asking for because we're not praying according to the will of God. But here's the beauty of praying in the spirit. Romans 8, 27. I know we keep going back to this, but it's such a good passage. And the father who knows all hearts knows what the spirit is saying for the spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So when we partner with the Holy Spirit, with our mouth, praying in the spirit, we are praying perfect prayers that are perfectly aligning with God's will in our life. God's will in our community, God's will in our students' family. New Song students, we need this tool. We need to pick up this tool because the same spirit who rose Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that lives in us and wants to pray through us. But he will not make you pick up this tool. He will not force you to pick up this tool, but he, like a gentleman, will walk in when you let him in and he will gift you with this amazing tool and it will bless your life. It will bless our church when you pick it up. So you might be here tonight and you're like, okay, this all sounds great. How do I receive it? How do I get it? How do I do it? Well, the first thing that we see in the book of Acts is they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So you gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then all you gotta do is ask for it. And so right now, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that. I don't wanna force this on you at all. If you're not ready for it, that is totally cool. But if you're here tonight and you're like, I want this. I wanna receive this tonight. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes.